Hey there, my name is Vosh. I live stream on YouTube and Twitch, and sometimes I even upload the good bits. This is Previously Live. So I have been getting a lot of emails lately. A lot of emails, which essentially boil down to, Vosh, please teach me how to convince oftentimes a family member and sometimes a friend of this political position. In fact, that might be one of the most common types of emails I get. And I've addressed this before to some extent. I'd like to say that almost all of my streams touch on this idea of piecemeal, but I have a video from some time ago saying, um, <clears throat> you know, here are some tips on pulling people out of the alt-right. That was maybe a little bit over-specific, okay? I, I am making this in part because I want to be able to defer people to a video uh, rather than to keep saying over and over again, this is too complicated for me to respond with in, in an email over and over again. <clears throat> this is, yeah, certainly, this is a matter of economy, but I am serious about this issue, okay? Yeah, feel free to take notes, I guess. This is everything that I have to say on the subject, okay? I want to say first and foremost that the practice of convincing a person close to you or any specific person of a political position they disagree with is never a guaranteed measure. In fact, it's quite likely to not succeed. If you're close to a person, the most likely method of convincing them to your point of view is not through argumentation, but rather long-term through exposure and empathy. If they're your family member, and, and this is the most common framework that I get, you're trans or non-binary or gay or whatever, and they don't accept your identity, it's very unlikely that you're going to be able to argue them into a position of acceptance because their lack of acceptance doesn't come from some, like, rational rejection of your beliefs, you know? Usually, it's a deeply emotional thing. It can be a product of their disgust or their bigotry or unmet expectations. And uh, it can take them some time to move over, or maybe it, they never move over at all. But if they do, it's usually just because they love you, and eventually, with time, they're sort of... They grow more comfortable with life as it is. And I want to say, by the way, the idea that, like, that delayed reaction is something which is exclusively done by people of a poor moral compass, I don't, I don't necessarily think that's true. I can understand that if you're, like, a 55-year-old dad and you don't know shit about modern gender ideology and then all of a sudden your kid is, like, an uwu trans cat girl, you know? I can understand a, a bit of a whiplash to that. I, yeah, like, this is not in any way shocking to me, okay? Especially, like, my parents are pretty progressive. I feel like even with my parents, if I suddenly was like, oh, yeah, I'm a trans woman, there might be, there would be questions at the very least, you know? There'd be um, some, some dinnertime conversations about the logistics of the whole thing. <clears throat> and I have progressive parents, so if you can imagine, like, conservative parents or, God, even people who just aren't caught up in the modern culture war discourse, I don't necessarily blame people for taking a while to catch up. I do blame people for being horrible, abusive uh, to their children, uh, for being, like, outright rejecting their identity. But sort of a cautious, you know, uh, distanced confusion, I can understand that. But... If you're asking me over email, like, what can I do to convince my family? It's usually not because your parents are sort of lukewarm and cautious. It's usually because they've outright rejected their identities. It's not, I, I don't often get emails saying like, 
oh, well, my parents are being a little weird, but like, how do I move them over to not being weird at all? It's usually, my parents are threatening to throw me out of the house, what can I do to prevent that? I'm going to talk about family first and then friends, but I think this information is largely kind of cross-applicable. Actually, no, let's talk about friends first. If you've got friends who, for some reason, a political difference between you and them is causing some serious rift, you can just stop being friends with them. You're to you can just totally do that, okay? I'm not necessarily saying that's always the right thing to do, but I'll put it this way, okay? I have known far more people who have harmed themselves trying to cling on to friends that were toxic to them than I have known friends who isolated themselves because they let go of too many friends. I know far too many people who, because they were afraid of being alone, stuck with people who were rude to them or who disregarded them or who were invalidating of their identity, than the other way around. So just keep that in mind, you know? Oftentimes there's like this desperate need to get people to accept you, but unfortunately life just doesn't work that way. Oftentimes, building a healthy community around you isn't getting those already around you to accept you. It's finding people who do accept you and building that community. It's possible to do both. I'm not saying you should dump every friend who doesn't agree with you on X or Y. And I'm not saying you should be like hyper fastidious gatekeeping friends if they even remotely disagree with you. But if you have friends that are being like outright abusive to you because of your identity, you'd better have a good goddamn reason for staying friends with them, okay? You need to have a you need to have a solid argument for that, okay? And the and the argument should not be something like, well, I don't know if I'd find any other friends, because that's what everybody tells themselves, okay? If you work on yourself and you go outside and you spend time in other communities, there is an almost guaranteed likelihood of you finding other friends. Just do not do not think of your current friends as some unchangeable, intrinsic block of your identity that you need to lose parts of yourself to try to convince. Does that make sense? We can all agree with that, right? That's first and foremost, okay? I just want that on, like, on the table right now with friends. Now, everything that I've said about friends, to an extent, also applies to family. I'm not one of those family bond, bond types, you know? I have a very good family. I love my family. They're great friends to me. They've been incredibly supportive. This isn't coming from some embittered perspective of somebody who had, like, a terrible relationship growing up with both their parents, okay? But if your parents are terrible to you, you don't have to keep them in your life, assuming that you're an adult and you're not completely dependent on them. Just keep that in mind. That doesn't necessarily mean it's not worth trying to build bridges or repair damage, just that that's an option on the table, okay? Yeah, first and foremost, your obligation is to your health, assuming you're not doing anything horribly unethical, which I don't think we're really talking about here. Though, in many cases, when people email me, it's because there's some degree of dependence on their parents, you know? Uh, I'm not dependent on my parents anymore uh, at all in any material way. But if you're in high school or even if you're in college and you rely on their money to support your education, you are totally, totally dependent on them. And while sometimes it's possible to like nut up and get like a full-time job and do college courses at the same time and like pay for everything all at once, oftentimes you don't really have that option and you kind of have to maintain a relationship with your parents. So with all of that being said, with all the obligations and uh, boundaries laid out on the table, how can you convince the people in your life to agree with you on a political position they disagree with, you know? I'm going to assume that we're talking about an issue of some immediate import, okay? If you're burning friendships and, like, family relationships because your family and friends are capitalists, I don't know what to say to you, okay? You can do that if you want, I guess. I mean, you have a right. It's a free country. But 
I'm gonna assume that these bridges are being burnt because of some like essential like identity based problem, you know, or maybe like COVID vaccine stuff, like you're putting people in danger or like you won't accept my identity, like stuff like that. You know what I mean? QAnon can be another one because that kind of conspiracism can just leak into everything, you know, but like if you're arguing over esoteric political, philosophical or economic issues, and that's what's like drawing lines between you and the people around you. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how applicable all of this is. So let's talk about this, okay? The first thing that you need to do is accept that in the overwhelming majority of circumstances, what if my parents are racist? That would be an identity based yeah, that yeah, that would be a, a bad thing. Yeah. Um in an overwhelming majority of circumstances, people's feelings on the issue that you disagree with them on are going to be irrational and based largely on feelings and presuppositions they don't challenge. Most people do not have a consistent set of political beliefs. If you actually talk to your average person, you would find that their political values are a horrendous Frankenstein mishmash of, at times, completely incompatible positions that they hold in large part because that's what they've always held or because their parents held it and they've just never challenged it or never questioned it because they just haven't. They, they just haven't done that. By being interested enough in politics to watch me, you've already distinguished yourself from the vast majority of the politically dif uh, like disinterested, you know? We make fun of people on Twitter for being like, I'm 14 and I was a Strasserite and then a neoliberal and then a traditionalist conservative and then a, a tradcon and then a, and like all like like they're five years old and they've been through like 17 ideologies. And it's true that is very, very funny. But I honestly think the average person is probably about that politically coherent. I really do think that's about the baseline, you know, for most people most of the time. And that past that uh, coherent political ideologies are really, really rare to find. So acknowledging the fact that the reason your family disagrees with you on this or your friends is probably not because of some extremely well-researched uh, a difference in understanding, you need to ask yourself, why do they believe the thing they believe? What is the core emotional impulse? It could be a rational one. It's not impossible, but most likely emotional impulse that leads them to hold the positions they do. So I've talked about this on stream before. Most often this comes up in the form of disgust when it comes to trans people. When you talk with people who are transphobes, oftentimes the arguments they levy are highly philosophical and very, very principled, you know? They'll say, ah, oh, well, scientifically, we have biological pronouns and we just shouldn't be enabling people's mental illness by encouraging X or Y. But if you get them a little bit drunk or if you talk with them a little bit longer, the reason why is usually they think it's gross. That's true, by the way. That is completely true. That's why, by the way, people who hold transphobic opinions don't ever change their minds when argued about it in public, even if their positions are held uh, based on incredibly bad data. Like, with regards to the um, all the people who say over and over, um, you know, people regret transitioning, look at all the detransitioners. This is a really obvious point to refute. All the data like that's available on the subject refutes that point. But they don't skip a beat when you point that out. It's either, well, the data's all wrong and I just magically know the real truth, or they just move on to some other point. And it's just a constant circle of debunked argument to debunked argument to debunked argument to debunked argument over and over and over again. And the reason for that is because they don't care about any of the data. They care about the fact that they think trans people are gross and unnatural. And that is the heart of their discontent.
You can argue the data with them all you want, but all you're really doing is bidding for time and legitimizing their emotional bias. Um, you need to know what the core is. So I think that in cases like that, particularly with regards to trans issues uh, or issues regarding sexuality, you need to take a deep breath whenever you hear the comments made by people close to you. You need to not listen to the words, but listen to the underlying motivation they seem to keep running back to. You need to look past the justifications that they put up. You don't need to necessarily confront them on them directly because, hey, telling your, your dad or whatever, you're just disgusted by trans people, probably isn't going to win him over any more than giving him a 30-minute speech on the value of gender transition with regards to mental health. That's probably not going to do it, you know? But you should, at the very least, be aware of those motivations. The same goes, by the way, with racism. A lot of racism, xenophobia, and uh, nativist sentiment comes deeply uh, from a sense of anxiety and fear. Oftentimes, uh, anything having to do with like an in-group, out-group bias, it usually is reinforced by the sense that there are some privileges or benefits that the in-group has that the out-group's presence or prominence or political growth uh, threatens. That's why when people talk about immigrants, they talk about jobs being stolen or them bringing COVID or whatever. Now, both of those points are easily debunkable, but does that change their minds? Not really. And when people talk about racism, they talk about like how, oh, anti-white racism is on the rise and, you know, they don't face racism anymore. But why is it that when white people go on Twitter, they're dunked on? And you can talk about that. But do you really think it's about white people being dunked on Twitter? It's probably not that. It's probably some underlying feeling of anxiety. Now, again, this isn't a justification. This isn't a, 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 you know, a zinger that you should throw at them. It's something that you should know because knowing it will make it easier for you to confront their biases. And to an extent, you have to be empathetic when you engage in this. This isn't some extremely, you know, protracted like debate analysis that you're doing. If you know this person, if they're your family or your friend, you should know them well enough to be able to read into their behavior insights that I never could. I don't know your family. I don't know your friends. I know my family and my friends, and I can read between the lines of what they're saying because I've known my family for 27 years and my friends for varying lengths of time, depending on how long I've known them. But I can do that. And if you know them well enough for their rejection of you to be a real issue, then you should probably also be able to take advantage of some deeper insight you have into their behavior. So try to do that. Uh, whether we're talking about like uh, racism or sexism, or transphobia, or any kind of gender issue, you know, try to identify that underlying motivation. Uh, it's not always the ones that I've described, though it often is. And when you've arrived at that point, you need to frame the discourse in a way that maximizes the potential for them to listen to what you have to say, okay? So here's a mistake that I often notice, okay? When people, oftentimes kids with their parents, when they disagree, uh, on an issue, oftentimes what will happen is the kid will deal with a lot of sort of internalized struggle and then like explode, get mad at their parents, have a big argument with them, and then storm off unsurprised to find their parents didn't change their minds. This is a really, really common pattern. It's also a guaranteed way of not getting them to change their minds. So a parent by default believes that they know better than you. I think basically every parent believes this about their kids. Oftentimes, especially when the kid's young, that's kind of true. It's often not true, though, and that's why a lot of abusive parents get away with justifying the behavior they engage in. But if your disagreement with them comes off like some kind of angry outburst, 
how can a parent who's not educated on this stuff tell the difference between you being angry that they won't accept your gender identity and you being angry that they don't like your musical tastes? To a parent, it just comes off as impetuous baby whining, you know? What's the difference from their perspective? In both cases, you're, you get flung up into a rage about something they don't really see the big deal about, and they're really, really, you, you're really mad, and it's like, oh, what are you mad about? Did we not let you break curfew? Are you mad that you didn't get to see your girlfriend last week? Well, like, what are you mad about? Oh, gender identity? Okay, sure, whatever, kid. You know, and then you go to your room and nothing changes from their end. When you engage in that kind of behavior, you reinforce all the biases that let parents not listen to what their kids are saying, okay? So the best thing you can do is A, not get upset, and B, put them in a position where they have to come to you for your opinion, because that means they have to listen to you. A good example of this would be, if you disagree with a parent's stance on something, let's say gender issues, if you can find a time to walk up to them and simply say, I really disagree with your take on this, um, I, I think that the, the data just doesn't support it, and I think there are negative consequences to your irrational position on it, I'd like to talk with you about it sometime, I just feel like you don't care about what I have to say, let me know if you ever want to talk about it. You don't have to do that word for word, but something to that gist, and then you can walk off. Obviously, again, this varies massively depending on the actual family or friends that you have. But that basic gist, the point of it is to express an understanding that there's some difference in opinion that you want resolved, but you think they won't listen and you want them to come to you. The reason that's important is because, well, two things can happen, really. Either they come to you, in which case they have implicitly indicated they care about your opinion on their beliefs. That's already a concession to you from them. You understand this, right? If they come to you, it's basically an acknowledgement that like there's something they're coming, they need knowledge from you to resolve some disagreement. Or they don't come to you at all. And if they don't come to you at all, then you're saving a lot of time, aren't you? Like I said, there are never any guarantees. If uh, your parents or friends or whatever don't care enough about your opinions of them uh, to even talk with you about it, really, that's a pretty strong indication that arguments with them are going to be a little bit fruitless. That's not to say they can't grow or change more in the future, but it's, uh, it's not a good sign. And it's something you can repeat in the future if you want to. So they need to break the ice? Yes. It's really important that they express an, an admission that they're interested in what you have to say. Because when they do that, they can't pull the parent card of, oh, this is just a whinging teenager. If you come to them angry, you're whining. If they come to you looking to hear why you disagree with them, they're already implicitly suggesting that you're an equal or that they have some kind of, uh, you know, they have something to learn from you. Uh, which is at least a concession. It's a step towards uh, what you have to say. So that's one thing, okay? When you're having a conversation with family or friends then, and you're in a position where they've come to you for information, you need to keep calm, obviously. Yeah, yeah, perfect. You need to keep calm, obviously. There's no getting around that. And you need to try to focus on the types of arguments you think they're going to be most receptive to. That's really, really, really important, okay? Now, a mistake that I've noticed a lot of people make when they get flustered is that you guys, you've watched a lot of vouch, haven't you? Yes, you have. So what you think the best argument can be is uh, you need to assemble 87 highly rigorous data-driven arguments that you can use to assail your family or friends with a 
bulletproof, airtight argument in favor of your political position. Please don't do this. Oh my god. Please ever. Don't, don't ever do that, okay? This is not how you change people's minds. Oh my god, this is not ever how you change people's minds, alright? As much as it sucks, for most issues where people have an emotional bias, people are most affected by an appeal to, um, to, to, to you know, pathos. People are most convinced by heartfelt, direct statements on the immediate importance to you and to them that something about their opinion changes, okay? I find it highly unlikely that anyone whose impulsive response to a child coming out would be rejection, would have their minds changed with a data doc on, like, Google Documents, okay? That seems very unlikely to me. You need to find what kind of stories resonate with them. And you can do that, I think, in part by knowing what type of person your parent is, but you also need to learn how to sell people on these uh, on these concepts best. So I'm going to try to, like, here are two ways that you could sell the same argument, okay? Uh, one of them is, let's say you're, like, a trans girl or whatever. You're, like, 16. I don't know. You, you're a girl. Great. Um, and you're, like, uh, you're making an argument for why your identity should be validated, you know? And um, and you're talking to your dad who looks like the the boomer Wojak, and uh, and you're saying like, okay, well, if you see here, it shows that a uh, parental support for the uh, identity of trans youth is massively correlative proportionally with the likelihood of that uh, person not attempting suicide. So it's really a matter of mental health, and so this probably won't work. Okay. What you can instead say, heartfelt, I mean, you can sit on the bed, whatever, and say, hey, look, listen, okay? I understand this is weird. I understand this is confusing. I understand that there's probably a lot of ground to cover here, but I need you to understand something, okay? That this, what's happening right now, this identity, this means a lot to me. This means a whole hell of a lot to me. It is so important to me that even if we disagree on the abstract politics of this, that you do the very basic minimum and you address me, I don't know, she, her, my name, whatever. And that the reason that's important is because, and here's where you throw the scare in, okay? Very important, by the way. Uh, I go online and I know people at my school and I know that a lot of trans people are very, very unhappy. And I know that a lot of them, you know, sometimes they think of hurting themselves. And some of them succeed in doing so. And every time I hear a story like that, their parents didn't support them. Every single time. The, they needed that, and they never got it, and it showed. And I don't want to end up like them. Even if we disagree on this stuff, I want to be one of those who knows they're going to be healthy going forward. I don't want anything to me made more difficult because of you. You know, I like this is the bare minimum I need and we can we can we can talk about the particulars later and I'm always here to talk about it but this I need from you. That argument is infinitely more effective. Infinitely more effective. This feels a little bit like emotional blackmail. It's literally not. Everything that I just said is completely true. Infinitely more effective than some sort of detached reading of, of, of a, of a, of, of a meta-analysis of statistical information, okay? Now, it's possible that they don't respond well to that argument, and again, I remind you, there are never any guarantees here. But, that's certainly 
a more effective approach to take. And also, uh, sometimes it's about planting the seeds. If they reject you there, don't get angry at them. I know that hurts, by the way. If they accuse you of being emotionally manipulative, then say like, fine, if that's the bet you're willing to make, you know, like if that's the, if that's the bet you're willing to make that like you care about this and me so little that you'll gamble on that and roll those dice, then sure. Okay. I'll be here if you want to talk. There's always a response and maybe it doesn't work at all. There's always a chance that it doesn't. It's also possible that you plant a seed uh, that makes it uh, more likely that in the future they'll be receptive to these arguments. What's important is that you never ever give them the impression that your take on this, your perspective, uh, is being motivated by some kind of like spur of the moment, highly emotionally driven, you know, like impetuous teenage behavior. Does that make sense? It's, it's just, it's important that you, uh, you, you approach this in a way that maximizes all of the elements in, I guess, especially a parent, that make them more considerate of your feelings. Like, say, for example, uh, you know, the desire to see your child happy. A lot of parents reject the trans thing, not because, not just because, at least, they're disgusted by trans people, but also because they think the trans thing is some kind of new age fad that makes kids unhappy and mutilate their bodies, and they don't want their child falling into that. So when when that's the perspective from which they're approaching this, you arguing all the like, oh, your support will make me more happy, et cetera, et cetera, is essentially like, it, it, to the, in their mind, it reads like, you saying you want to tattoo your entire body like a lizard and then make lizard noises and you're more likely to be happy if they support you doing that. It doesn't like register to them. You just have to be emotive and you have to engage with the pathos of the argument. Wait, but I want that? Well, that's a conversation between you and God now that you're an adult. Um, generally speaking, a more effective approach. And the same, by the way, goes with your friends. The nice thing with your friends is that by default, your friends don't actually have any immediate material leverage over you, which means that you can have much more pointed conversations with them. If you want, you can get angry with your friends. It, you can just say, hey, listen, fuck off, okay? You're going to continue with this, and if you do, we're not going to be friends anymore. You're going to stop that shit, and we can be friends. It's as simple as that. And if they don't adhere to that, you can stop being friends with them. That is your right. Uh, parents, generally speaking, have control over you. and. This is very much a like person by person case, but if you have some kind of scathing political disagreement with a with your parents that cannot be resolved, you're going to have to make the choice as to whether or not you want to keep your mouth shut and just go along with it until you're capable of financial independence. This is something that every victim of abusive parents has had to deal with where they have to do this constant like internal calculus on whether or not they want to just uh, throw everything in the air and dip and like deal with all the consequences of that, or if they want to play along nice and try to make it through until the very least college, and then they can try to do something on their own. Unfortunately, there's not necessarily a right answer to that. Sometimes the correct answer kind of is to just deal with it, and sometimes the correct answer kind of is to just fucking run. And I have no idea what it is because that is so, so dependent on you and your relationship to your family. So I can't even begin to comment on that. You're going to have to figure that one out for yourself. Okay. Just try to do stuff that maximizes your own well-being. Uh, and also keep in mind, by the way, 
that it's easier to deal with uh, shitty parents if you have good friends. A lot of people have shitty both when it comes to some identity thing, which means that it's sort of a holistic, all-encompassing problem. Whereas if your parents are shitty, but you have like a core group of like supportive friends, that can go a long way towards propping you up. Just keep that in mind, you know? There are mitigating circumstances that you can use to make the still quite difficult process more tolerable, and there are also things you can do to make it way, 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 way worse. When you're having these, these conversations uh, with people that are close to you, I'm mostly talking about like trans identity and sexuality because that's the subject of most of the emails that I get, but I want to touch on another really key thing, which is conspiracy and religion. Because to me, they're the same thing. <laughs> because that's a really core component of, well, a lot of this. Like, let's not beat around the bush, okay? Religion, whatever your opinions on it, okay? It can make parents do and say some really fucking stupid and dumb and mean shit to their kids uh, that they'll never be able to justify and will never move off of because they think that if they die, they're going to go to hell if they listen to you. Really great incentive to keep your parents uh, on whatever dumb fuck position they're... Uh, have you ever held an anti-theist phase? Yeah, it's currently ongoing. Uh, it's, it's, it's still active, actually. Unfortunately, when it comes to the influence of religion, I don't really have that much to say because the introduction of a religious justification for bigoted opinions on the part of family or friends makes it infinitely less likely that you're going to be able to move them over. Now, that's not always the case, by the way, because much uh, in the same way that people's political beliefs are completely inconsistent, so are their religious beliefs. There are no consistent religious people. Religious people will do what makes them happy. When they're guilty, they'll pray, and uh, they will post-hoc justify any of their behavior with a selective interpretation of their holy text, uh, and everyone's interpretation is different. Christians who do anti-Christian things will get mad at other Christians doing Christian things, and non-Christians will get mad at Christians for doing anti-Christian things, and there's no sense to any of it, and nobody's consistent. This goes with Christians, this goes with Jews, this goes with Muslims, this goes with everyone, okay? I have never met a religious group uh, that was not full of hypocrites and liars to themselves, all right? There's no getting around it. So, you can exploit religious inconsistency to some extent when you argue with your parents, okay? Because in all likelihood, their religious beliefs are just a post-hoc justification for moralizing things they already believed are true. Like, they don't think that being gay is bad because they're religious. They thought being gay was bad, and now they have a religious justification for that belief. It gets complicated because people who are raised in religious communities will usually have these beliefs ingrained in them, like, socially and religiously at the same time. Like, if a person grows up in the Bible Belt and they're homophobic, what made them homophobic? Reading the Bible or all the homophobia they saw from their parents and emulated? I'd be willing to bet it's mostly the latter. Like, I don't think that religion really does much to instill people's values. It just gives them a system for justifying the values they already hold. Sometimes it is religious. It really varies. I think there's a lot of inconsistency there. Really, really depends, you know? So... I mean, it's not a coincidence that, like, Muslims who came to America liberalized significantly, you know? It's not a coincidence that, like, religious people in cities are way more progressive sometimes than secular people in, like, conservative areas. Like, it's, there's so much, it's so, it's impossible to distinguish what was formed by religion and what is merely post-hoc justified by religion. So let's put all that aside and simply say that you can exploit the inconsistencies 
in a person's religious beliefs in order to convince them uh, of the positions you're trying to move them over on. If you're familiar with a few basic biblical arguments to support your position, maybe throw them out there. Maybe there are some religious leaders or pastors who support your position who you could defer to. Uh, or, you know, uh, maybe you could sort of deign to that, you know, the common uh, Christian cope screed, love the sinner, hate the sin. You know that one? That one that they use to engage in homophobia uh, without admitting they're engaging in homophobia because they love the gay people. They just hate the sin. So like that, you know, you can pull that over with trans people probably too, right? Uh, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin. Well, you're not loving me right now. I don't know. There's, again, these arguments get so inconsistent. So there's no real like strong way to have a, a you know, a tell-all approach to all of it. But it's something to keep in mind. If you want to, you can go full debate bro with them and argue that there are plenty of religious justifications for horrible things, but again, the degree to which average people are susceptible to logical arguments is just not... People like really strong emotive arguments. I just don't know how far it goes beyond that, you know? It can get, it can get pretty rough to move past that point. What about native and indigenous religions? I have never in my life gotten an email from somebody who said their native or indigenous religious parents were keeping them from being trans or whatever, so I have no fucking idea. I have no idea. Though I'm going to defer to uh, my, my very basic humanist argument here, which is that people are stupid and religion is stupid, and that's going to be the same whether you're a Christian white American or an indigenous person with an indigenous religion. So that's my default answer. I'm going to assume that abusive parents are kind of a ubiquitous cultural experience, maybe exacerbated by some factors, but otherwise ubiquitous. So I'm guessing this applies broadly. Anyway, religion to me comes really close to conspiracy because conspiracy theories like religion are a really easy way of post hoc justifying anything that you like believe. This is where anti-vax beliefs and QAnon come in. I've said this before and I still believe it. I really do think that if you have a family member or a friend who's like QAnon adjacent or just full-on QAnon, they might be too far gone. Part of this whole trying to move people next to you over is learning when it's a waste of time to try. Vosh, you convinced me to get the vaccine. Yeah, not all anti-vax people are beyond reasoning, but QAnoners, that's really far over. Right now, QAnon is like a giant maelstrom that's consumed basically every other conspiracy theory in the United States. Uh, Flat Earth has been consumed. Uh, uh, Christian evangelicism and like rapture prophecy, that's been consumed. The Day of the Rope, like race, uh, race warriors, that's been consumed. QAnon is like this just void that has swallowed every other horrible conspiratorial belief. Uh, and at that point, I, I really don't know how effectively you're going to be able to convince somebody. I actually don't know if I have ever in my life heard of somebody who was full-on QAnon who changed. Now, there is a subreddit, victims of QAnon, I think, survivors of QAnon, and I think it's like family members of people pulled into QAnon, but I, I, don't, I don't know if I've even heard a story of that happening. I'm sure it's happened, just, uh... It doesn't happen often. QAnon casualties, is that it? QAnon casualties, thank you very much. I'm not saying it's literally impossible to move QAnon people over. I'm just saying, like, it does not happen often. At all. It is not something that happens frequently. In the slightest, okay? It's, 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 
a very, very, very um, insular community. So if you have a family member or a friend who's in that position, I'm not saying they're a lost cause. I'm just saying there might be better ways to spend your time. Time that you're spending trying to move them over from their positions might be better spent whittling or panhandling for gold in a local river. I don't know. You can if you want to. I'm just saying it, it's, it, it might be an incredibly, a very, very, very difficult. Yeah, learn how to play the guitar or something. I don't know. Learn Latin. Yeah. Uh, not Again, not impossible. Just, you know. The anti-vax stuff varies because there are people who are anti-vax who aren't like super crazy conspiracy theorists. A lot of black folk in America are anti-vax. I don't think they're all QAnon. Uh, there are many reasons why people are anti-vaccine. All of them are bad reasons. They don't stop being bad reasons just because it's not all Republicans doing it. But uh, I don't think there is impossible to move over. So just keep that in mind, okay? Um, and you can have those conversations with them. When it comes to anti-vax types, there can be a number of reasons why they hold the beliefs they do. Sometimes it's conspiratorial. Sometimes it's a fear of the medical industry or of the pharmaceutical industry. Sometimes it's a non-belief in the severity of COVID. Sometimes it's this, sometimes it's that. Most often, and by most often, I mean like 99% of the time, it's just because they consume media that you don't. You consume real media, they consume a collection of YouTube grifters and intellectual dark web uh, disinfo propagandists uh, who constantly assail them with headlines about how breakthrough cases are taking over the nation and how nobody knows what's actually inside the vaccine. And these are lies, of course, but that's the media they consume, so they derive the opinions they can from what they consume. You understand? Yes, you understand. Uh, just keep that in mind. You need to find out why they are the way they are. Maybe ask them where they got their opinions from. You know, like, show me the video. If you can, if they can show you the video in the articles, because they've probably seen some, they probably know what they're deriving their opinions from, you might be able to find direct counters to the stuff that they've provided. Not in a debate bro way, just, oh, I saw that, but look, see right here, it turns out this was completely untrue, and this person denounced the study and stuff. And it's like, oh, well... I think the last thing that I want to touch on uh, with regards to, um, wait, hold on. Vosh, I know someone who says he wants to restrict immigration because white people are aesthetically more pleasing than, quote, ugly brown people. How far gone is this person? I'd say that's pretty far gone. That seems pretty far gone. It seems pretty out there. Uh, they have gone past uh, bigoted beliefs justify, like sort of being internally justified by fear and more uh, outright proud admissions of completely subjective, uh, you know, prejudice. A um, little different there. Anyway, I want to talk about mental illness. So one hot secret parents don't want to tell you is that, like, a solid third of them have some untreated mental illness, and they were raised in a culture that taught them to not take care of it, and now it's your problem, okay? That's the, that's the one hot secret, okay? Not my parents, again, I don't want to ever implicitly denounce my parents, because they're both awesome. But, there are a ton of parents out there with anxiety or narcissistic personality disorder, and wow do they make that your problem while you're growing up, okay? Like, big, big, big time, you know? Um, we've talked enough about anxiety on the channel, and I think anxiety is generally understood well enough that I don't need to hyperfixate on it too much, but... 
it's especially the narcissistic personality disorder thing that really gets me. Yeah, there's a subreddit for that. The narcissistic parents. Yeah. Raised by narcissists. That's right. That's right. Yeah. The last thing that I want to say is that regardless of the beliefs they hold, sometimes your parents are just awful fucking people. Narcissistic personality disorder is like a shortcut to being a terrible person. I'm not a psychiatrist, but yeah. Uh, and when you see behavior like that, I really think the best strategy is preparing an exit strategy. Uh, you need to find ways to steel yourself against them, to raise a community around you that are not your parents, that will support you, and then to find ways to detach yourself from parental support um, at the next available opportunity. That's another big component, by the way, to trying to change the minds of the people around you, your friends and family. It's the ability to steel yourself against their bad opinions. That is a really big part of it. Guys, what's one half of my job? Well, half of it's knowing how to debate. The other half of it is knowing how not to get mad when other people debate me. You understand? It's two sides of the same coin. You cannot engage in the process of changing the minds of the people around you uh, 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 without taking some kind of reciprocal damage, and you need to be able to deal with that. So here are some fun, happy, and cool things that you can tell yourself uh, if you're ever feeling bad about your relative social position, okay? Get ready for it, okay? First of all, this too shall pass. Very important to remember that, okay? The idea of permanence is one of the universe's greatest illusions, all right? There's no such thing as, my life begins at X, your life starts when you're born and ends when you die. And you will die, but change will happen constantly from point A to point B, and there's nobody with more power to affect that change than you. So even if things right now aren't in a position that you necessarily like, you have the, the, the firmest grasp on the reins, and even if it takes a while, nobody has more control than you to move you over to a life that you want to live. You're always living your life. It's never any time in the future. It's no longer in the past. There is no point in the universe where the past is still happening. It's only now, and only you have control over your behavior. So even if things may be frustrating right now, and they often are, just keep in mind that in five years, in ten years, things which are unbearably uh, uh, painful now are not going to be in the future. They won't be. They will not be, okay? That is just what time does. Time does this to everything. We're constantly looking for new experiences, and with time as a process of our growth, we overcome hurts that we have experienced in the past. I had things in the past that hurt me and my feelings very much, and now they don't bother me in the slightest. And one of the reasons they don't bother me that much is because since those things happened, I made an effort to learn from them and then try not to repeat mistakes or experience the same harms again in the future. You have that power, okay? So when you feel like your parents are being unsupportive, when you feel like uh, your friend group sucks, et cetera, et cetera, you know, uh, just keep in mind that there are plenty of people who today have wonderful friend circles and wonderful lives who in the past did not, okay? The idea that because you are once one thing, you must always be that thing is completely delusional. It's actually, it's not just silly, it's objectively antithetical to the nature of, like, the universe, okay? That is not how things happen. You have control over that.
There's no guarantee everything's going to work out perfectly, but not only can things get better, often they do, and the things that get worse, you learn how to get better at dealing with them. I deal with stress better now than I did when I was young, that's for fucking sure. So keep that in mind. Very, very important, okay? And additionally, stop being harder on yourself than uh, you are on other people. I see trans people with this all the time. I don't understand why. You'll go on Twitter or whatever forum and you'll see other like trans people and you'll be like, oh, these queens, oh, these kings, if they're trans men, oh, these NB M monarchs, whatever. Uh, oh, they're so lovely. And sometimes, and I'll, hold on. And I'll point out, by the way, I'll make it clear, you know, sometimes you'll look at a, a, a trans person. You'll be like, this person doesn't pass, but they're still lovely. But in, especially in the trans community, there's like this cult of self-hatred and then like love of everyone around you, you know, which is weirdly delusional because if it was true love, you would be able to feel it for yourself too. Like you need, like people need to get over that. Okay. I don't care. This isn't just a trans thing. I just, something I see in those communities really, really often, super, super dumb, you know, uh, you can get over that. All right. People all the time. It's like the opposite of people's charitability to themselves, you know? We judge ourselves by our intentions and others by their actions. So if we do something dumb, we forgive ourselves because we know our intentions are good, but when other people do something dumb, we assume it's because they wanted to do that dumb thing. It's like some people do the opposite of this, where they judge themselves by the worst interpretations and others by the best possible interpretations. Chill. Out. Stop. Okay? Chill. Do not do this. Why? Your ability to reflexively interpret different types of behavior and appearances and impressions and actions more favorably in others than in yourself is a lie your brain is telling yourself in order to justify a self-hatred that you are attached to. Okay? You are... there. There's a, a sort of cyclical nature to self-disgust and self-hatred that perpetuates itself, often at the expense of the ability to rationally analyze the situation around you. It's psychological uncontrollably, usually, wrong. It's somewhat psychologically uncontrollable. Oftentimes there's a chemical component. Talking to a therapist or a psychiatrist can be helpful in the future, but there are always things that we can do, always things we can do to improve our mentality. It just takes time and it's difficult to do, but it's worth doing, okay? Think of, uh, think of it like a life project, you know? We like life projects, don't we? Or, or maybe, maybe let's start smaller, okay? Think about building, building a snow castle, okay? Think of building a snow castle. It's a beautiful morning, all right? You're 12 years old, okay? There's 13 inches of snow outside. It is 21 degrees. You're wearing perfectly fitting... Uh, uh, snow clothing, and you're going to build a snow castle, okay? So you go outside, and you start to form a brick of snow, and you smack it down on the ground, and then you build another brick, and you smack it down, and you have begun a long, long project, okay? Now, the process of building a snow castle is difficult work. It's difficult to move in heavy snow clothing. It is cold outside. Your ears hurt a little bit. Frost builds at your face that you have to wipe off, which scuffs you because the back of your glove is kind of like a little ragged because you've been wearing it for a few winter seasons. Uh, you go ahead and you build another brick. It's heavy. These bricks of snow are heavy. Made of water, after all. Porous water, you smack it on down. Now, this is a process that's going to take hours and hours and hours, and there's nothing immediately satisfying about the base of the tower. Is there? No, there isn't. 
That's just a couple of bricks in the snow. In fact, the starting bricks are remarkably unimpressive because they sink into the snow. You can't even see them. The first little bits of progress are so minuscule that you literally cannot see them rise above the default snow level. But you keep building the snow castle because you know there's a beautiful future for it, all right? Why can we not treat our own mental health similarly? Make an effort to take difficult and arduous steps towards a beautiful future that you can imagine, okay? Practice saying nice things about yourself or thinking nice things about yourself. You know, you don't have to say it out loud, but thinking nice things about yourself, okay? Like anything in your life, these are habit-building exercises. And the more readily you do it, the more likely you are to do it in the future. And you know how I know that? Because you know the opposite happens. When was the last time you noticed a negative attribute about your body? For the first time, you noticed this. And then you start noticing it more and more and more and more and more until it becomes something you think about all the time. This happens to all of us, I imagine. Uh, to varying extents, maybe. This is not a one-way street. This goes both ways. There is no chemical reason, no neurological reason why that can't go both ways. It does go both ways. It absolutely does. If you notice favorable things about yourself and take effort to notice it and point it out, you will notice it more and more and more often. This is the case for everyone. Okay, so make an effort to do that. And if you do this, the better you get at complimenting yourself, the harder it'll be for other people's insults to hurt your feelings. Try to think of other people's negative comments towards and about you as a product of their own problems rather than yours, especially if you haven't done anything. Think about that. It's easy for me to do this because I was never really victimized or marginalized for my identity when growing up, but something to keep in mind. Say you are a young gay boy, okay? You're in high school or something, and you are gay, and people in the class, they make fun of you for being gay. Does it bother you that you are being made fun of for being gay? Or does it bother you that you are surrounded by people who would make fun of you for being gay? Or to put it another way, who's the fault lying with, you or them? It's them. Of course it's them. So why should their mockery be interpreted as anything other than a self-report? That's not to say it can't be unfortunate. Nobody likes being made fun of. But this is how I think of all of the people online who are detractors towards me, I mostly feel bad for them, in large part because they seem to dedicate an inordinate amount of time to hate-mongering on a live streamer they don't watch, but also because a lot of their biases really seem to say more about themselves than me. I'm not really fat anymore, because I started building the snow castle, but, uh, you know, even when I was 280 pounds six months ago, um... When people, they call me fat online, has this ever even give a remote impression of offending me? You see me online all the time. Has this ever looked to have offended me? Even once? No. Because it's silly. What kind of person would defer to this as an insult for some random internet figure? Oh, you're fat? What? Are these people children? Uh, that's all I can really think of when I saw that. You know, are you, are you children? Is, are you insecure about your own weight? Is it... What, what, what's wrong with you, you know? This is what I think of. And if you are some young trans person or some young lefty and your parents or your friends are being mean to you over this or that, what's wrong with them? That's what you should be asking yourself. When other people insult you for your identity and you've done nothing wrong, you should regard their insults with the same pious, sanctimonious dismissal 
that a religious person uh, uh, acts with when they say, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Because that is unironically the correct attitude to take towards those situations. You pity them, and you must, because their derision says more about them than it ever could about you. You understand? Now, that's not to say, again, that it can't hurt. I'm only saying that you shouldn't internalize all the negative things people say about you because it really says more about them. Does that fit? Do we understand? Do we understand building the snow castle? So just work on that. And work on stealing yourself against the bad actions and petty derisions of the people in your life who you depend on, okay? Uh, that's not to say that you can't get close to people or rely on their opinions or anything like that. It's just that there's something so seditious about this. What is it about sad people, you know? What is it with these people? If they're asked by a friend, hey, do you want to hang out? The sad person thinks, oh, they don't really mean that. Oh, they pity me. They're just saying this so I don't feel left out. My presence is not really desired there. But then when you say to the sad person, ah, fuck you you know, you're not even a real woman, you think, oh, they're totally true. You're, oh my God, that's so right. This is the specific piece of information that I'm deciding is actually completely accurate when everything else positive that I heard, I'm going to sideline and assume was incorrect. Why? Dumb. <laughs> Stop. Very silly. Just think about stuff like this, okay? The more, the more conscious you become of these behavioral patterns, uh, the less like you, likely you are to fall prey to them in the future. That's not to say you can just overcome it with a thought, but it is a process. It is a long-standing thing. I read a book on depression that said the issue isn't that depressed people doubt themselves, it's that they're so damn sure of themselves. Ha! That's true. Yeah. It's that they're so damn sure about doubting themselves, even when reality disagrees with them, you know? Depression, much like many other, you know, uh, mental, anything involving mental dysregulation, is basically a combination of ways in which your cognitive facilities are interrupted uh, by an over or under saturation of different hormones. Uh, just like anxiety, which will make you panic when nothing is happening. Uh, just like, uh, uh, you know, uh, autism, which can make it difficult to read some social signals uh, or, or to be in large, like loud crowds. Uh, depression can prevent you from realistically assessing your worth in relation to others. Uh, and it is as irrational, by the way, as any of the bigotry that is levied against you by the people in your life. You understand this? If, if, a, if, a, if a parent is like, you're not a real gay person, that's fake. And your immediate thought in your head is, oh my god, they're probably right. There are two delusional people in the room. Gotta work on that. Debate bro yourself, okay? 